Gospel Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism. Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah and how God's call on his people in that day is one he still has for us in 2023. May he find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. For the past 20 years, we've had a front row seat to God doing more than we could ever imagine. Lives impacted for all eternity. Public professions of faith through baptism. Kids and adults discipled in the ways of Jesus. Campuses expanded to reach the multitudes, serving the least, the last, and the lost. And now our sights are set on something bigger and bolder, something immeasurably more. Let us join God in what he is doing next. Good morning again. Hey, I'm really glad that you're here. Um, If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, my name is Nick Allen, and I get to be the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills. And before there was this location of Rolling Hills, I had other jobs at the church. Um, I started my journey with Rolling Hills in 2007 as a youth pastor, hence the activity. Thank you for playing this morning. Uh, And then moved my way into kids ministry and then family ministry, and then I had the discipleship job. And finally, the Lord landed me at the opportunity um, to be a pastor of one of our locations of Rolling Hills. I've told this story before, and I don't tell it again because I forgot that I told it or because I don't have other stories, um, but because it just makes so much sense. We moved here um, with one baby who was 10 months old and a baby on the way because nobody told us, whoa, that was going to be stressful. Um, And we didn't really have the option of going and checking out, oh, let me find all the pediatricians that we can look at and examine and interview and decide to be our pediatrician. We just looked at some people at the church and said, where do you go? And we took our kid there. So Lily Kate is our oldest. She turns 17 in a couple of weeks. Um, A, that's how you can tell how old I am if you want to do some mental math, and B, that's how you can pray for us because she's a high school junior and we're visiting colleges. That's a lot. She was 10 months old when we moved here for me to join the staff team at Rolling Hills. We found a pediatrician in Cool Springs and we did immunizations. Don't at me if you think that's not a good idea. That's okay. That's not what the message is about. Don't get sidetracked. Okay, so we did childhood vaccinations and as we were going in, you know, there's like a three month and a six month and a nine month and a 12 month and like, I don't know, lots of months of these things. 
My wife would always make me go to the appointments with her um, because she wanted it to be me holding down Lily Kate's arms and legs and looking at her face whenever she got those pricks so that my face would always be the one. She's like, Nick, I can't do it. I can't let it be my face that she sees when she's in that amount of unbearable pain. And I was like, I got this. And so there I am holding down her arms and, you know, waiting for the nurse Kim, who's amazing, by the way, to come in and stick her legs as many times as she needed to stick her. And Lily Kate would, of course, let out this blood curdling cream and this expression on her face like, I cannot believe you are doing this to me. There's probably some unexplained trauma in her life. I have no idea. But there was one time when she got to be about two years old. Now, what you have to know is that we are from the South, if you couldn't already tell. And whenever we told our kids no when they were little, we would say, you know, go and put your hand on the light socket. Lily Kate, no ma'am. Lily Kate, oh, she's going to throw something up. No ma'am. We don't touch that. No ma'am. So there she is on the table that day, and when I get over her face and help with my hands on her little arms so that she doesn't flail about and the shot goes exactly where it's supposed to go, she began to know exactly what's going to happen. She started screaming as loud as she could, no ma'am, no ma'am, no ma'am, no ma'am, no ma'am. And once Nurse Kim regained her composure from laughing, she was able to successfully give her whatever immunizations we needed at that point in time, and that's the story. I do always wonder if it's my face that they continue to see anytime they come up with something painful and difficult in life. What's your face? What's the thing that you're reminded of when something hurts? Um, What's the face that you see when when something's really difficult? We've been in the book of Nehemiah for five chapters already. We're diving into chapter six today. And the recurring theme in the life of this guy is that he has continued to face painful opposition to the work that God had called him to do, to go back to the city. If you don't know the story, what had happened was Daniel, maybe you learned that story as a kid, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get carted off to exile in Babylon. And as kids, we don't spend a lot of time on the exile part or how they got there, but we remember the fiery furnace and the lion's den those are really cool stories. But for 70 years, God's people were carted off to exile in the nation of Babylon, really as a reminder of who their God was and a way that they were supposed to live. It was kind of a timeout, a little bit of discipline from God Almighty for not being the people that he had called them to be for all of those years. Well, after the Babylonians came the Persians, and they were a little bit nicer because they allowed the people to go back to their city and rebuild their temple. That's the story that we read about in the book of Ezra. Then Nehemiah comes on the scene. He's the cupbearer to the king in Persia, and his face is looking real sad, and the king asks why, and he's like, yeah, you can go back and build the wall around the city because a temple and a holy city without a wall is susceptible to just the next invasion. So yeah, take as much time as you need. Yeah, take as much resources as you need. Yeah, take as many folks as you need to go with you and go back and rebuild the wall, and then we encounter opposition after opposition after opposition, in particular the opposition that we encountered last week that didn't just come from outside forces, but their own people. The book of Nehemiah, without opposition, would really have been like 12 lines. Nehemiah, why you look so sad? Well, my city lies in ruins. Go back and build it. Take all the time you need. Awesome. Friends, let's do this. And then we get a long list of all the friends who participated, and then they finish the wall and they celebrate. Yay, we're done. The opposition is what beefs up the book. It's what gives us the most Last week, chapter 5 concluded with a verse that reminds us that the litmus test for us being believers, the litmus test for us knowing what God has called us to do and what our next steps of faith are, when it's for the Lord, like when it's for Him, it's also for others. It is about others. We're called to love him with everything that we have. That's the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Shema. We're supposed to love him with everything that we have. And then in Leviticus law, it says we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. When Jesus was asked, hey, what's the first and what's the first most important command? 
sum up the entire Old Testament for me, Jesus. And he was like, love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Bonus, I'll give you the second. It's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can rest assured that any step that we take, any movement that we take that's for God, but doesn't include his love for, his desire to reach, his desire to include others, is probably not his plan. I can go ahead and tell you, moving to Nashville from where we live down in the suburbs of like Spring Hill Thompson Station, working at the Franklin campus, moving to Nashville to to be a part of a brand new campus, it was for others. It was how can we include more people when Rolling Hills moved from the movie theater in Cool Springs, which is where we were for five years, setting up and tearing down and waiting for them to start the show. The only thing that we lamented about the building that God provided, which was a miracle story in and of itself, is that it was too far south in Franklin and too far off of the interstate. And so what we knew instinctively in that moment is the college students, the young adults, the people that are living around apartment complexes and Nippers Corner in South Nashville and East Nashville, they're not going to come to Rolling Hills anymore. We're, we're going to lose the opportunity to leverage that generation because we moved too far south in the suburbs, too far off the interstate. It's going to be challenging. The only thing we lamented for the first years at that warehouse building that God provided was we're kind of far for people from Nashville to get to. And so in 2017, our lead pastor, Jeff Simmons, took a couple of key leaders, and they were riding around the city and just praying together, saying, Lord, where can we go? On his way, they found nothing, by the way. On his way home, he got a phone call from a fellow who was pastoring a church that met at Belmont University that says, hey, I think we need to talk. And then we moved to Belmont. And we met all these incredible people from Belmont Heights Baptist Church that have joined us in this mission. But the journey there was going to be short-lived. Belmont said, hey, this is the deadline on when you can meet here. It was March of 2020. If the Lord had told us at that moment in 2017-18 that our deadline was going to be March of 2020, we would have been like, well, okay, that's fine, because we had no idea what March of 2020 was going to be. We also had no idea where we were going to go or what we could afford. And so I became the person that went around on the next caravan of people looking all over the city of Nashville, looking at commercial buildings, looking at old church buildings, looking at abandoned buildings, going, where can we go? And then the people of Park Avenue, we've got a building, and we kind of need a few young people. I was real excited when they told me they needed young people, and they were looking at me as the young people. (laughs) And here we are, a few years later, seeing so many other folks come and join what God is doing, and it was always all about others. Who can we meet? Where can we position ourselves to to meet other people, particularly college students, this this wave of next generation and all the things that they're going to do in the world? How can we leverage the influence that we have for a next generation that, if you look at statistics over the last 50 years, has been declining rapidly in faith? What can we do? It's always been about others. Nehemiah says at the close of Nehemiah chapter 5, remember me with favor, my God for all I've done for these people. Talking about the exiles, talking about the returning remnant, talking about the people that were already there in the city who now have a temple where they can worship God and a wall around it where they can be protected. Remember me. There's a lot of opposition. Lord, remember me. Everything that I've done for these people. Hebrews 6 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work, the love that you've shown him as you've helped his people, and continue to help them. That there's always been a moment where the command to love God includes the idea of loving and serving others, and that's the thing that God will remember. In the book Uncommon Ground um, by Tim Keller and John Inazu, 
they write this the christian calling is to be shaped and reshaped we've we've gone through some reformation in the life of our church i've gone through some reshaping in my life youth pastor turned kids pastor that was a weird transition turned dis adult discipleship pastor that was a straight and then all of it like the christian calling is to be shaped and reshaped into people whose every thought and action is characterized by faith, hope, and love, and who then speak and act in the world with humility, patience, and tolerance. And on the off chance that we're a people who are living like that, on the off chance that we're continually being formed into a people of faith, hope, and love who exhibit out in this great world humility, patience, and tolerance, on the off chance that we're really living like that, it comes with a warning. Because when you're faithfully serving the Lord, when you're faithfully taking next steps of wild faith and obedience, when you're doing that in your everyday life, the enemy knows it. The enemy knows it. So we enter into Nehemiah chapter 6, and it says this, When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Oh, they've really made good time here. Though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. It says, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So here's this moment where these enemies, we encountered them first in Nehemiah chapter 2. People that immediately, as soon as they learned why Nehemiah had come back to town, why the cupbearer to the Persian king had made his way back with a remnant, why he had showed up on the scene, as soon as they learned, they began all these different phases of opposition, all these different phases of how can we thwart the work, how can we mess up the plan, how can we stand in the way. And the reason they were doing that is because they recognized, and not just they, but the enemy recognized that they were doing God's work in the world. Some of y'all are watching horror movies this month. I shouldn't have wagged my finger at you like that when I said that. My apologies. Um, and I do not. And it's not because I'm judging you. It's not at all because I'm, it's because I can't take it. In fact, even if I watch a movie that's just the slightest bit suspenseful before bed, I have to do a palate cleanser with like an episode of Friends or Golden Girls or something really humorous before I go to sleep because I can't, can't be thinking about that when I close my eyes like some of y'all are watching that but you know when you do you watch those scary movies you watch those horror movies you as the viewer you know that the bad guy's right behind the door you know that she shouldn't wear those really unsensible shoes because she's not going to be able to run away like you know in advance and you're looking at the screen like oh don't go in that room like don't 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 look under that bed like don't don't do that like you see it coming like as a people of God when we're doing the right thing, we should see the opposition coming. It shouldn't be a surprise to us in those moments. These people have been ripping Nehemiah to shreds since chapter 2. Who couldn't see that coming? And so in the moment when we're facing opposition, in the moment when the enemy is after us, in the moment when there's difficulty to achieve the thing that God has called us to achieve, following God, resisting the enemy, it takes, y'all think I might say courage, it does, but it also takes discernment. It takes wisdom. If you read Philippians chapter 1, Paul prayed that for us. He says this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Remember, it's about other people. Love each other, love others, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so to be pure and blameless for the day of 
Christ. We need, as believers in Jesus Christ, in a wicked world that we live in, we need discernment. If you want to know the definition of what discernment is, it's the ability to see clearly and respond wisely. So these guys, they, they, they sent Nehemiah this note. They're like, hey, let's get together. Um, come on up and let's meet up. What, what's going to happen? And Nehemiah knows, and it's at the tail end of Nehemiah 6 too, they intended to, to harm me. He's learned since chapter 2 not to believe these guys. They're not trustworthy. He's learned since chapter 2 that the opposition continues to come over and over and over. God has given him a spiritual discernment to where he can see clearly, but not only that, respond wisely. So he sends messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? You know, the whole story of, of Rolling Kills and, and us as a church and all that we've been celebrating with this anniversary 20th year is just, wow, look what God's done. What if it had stopped back then? What if we never made it beyond the Marriott Hotel? That was the first year and a half. Well, like, what if, we, what if we never were able to leave the movie theater? We spent five years at Carmike's Thoroughbred Cinemas in Cool Springs, like, well, what if, what if the warehouse was like, well, great, God gave us a building, and it's in South Franklin, and it's got room to grow, so we'll just stay right here. Well, then Nolensville campus wouldn't have started. They met in an elementary school for five years, two different elementary schools for five years. And if we had stopped at Nolensville, then there would be no Nashville campus. And I'd be willing to say that we would have been able to look into the future and see the trajectory of Belmont Heights Baptist and their longstanding tradition in this community. And Park Avenue Baptist, in their long-standing tradition over a hundred years in this property, the writing would have been on the wall. But no, and now we're in Columbia, and we've got this new campus in South Nashville called Haywood Hills, and there's this whole design as a part of what we're doing with this next idea is that there would be a community center there for people in need, people who have literal food insecurity, people who need English as a second language, people who need opportunities for their kids to grow, people who need resources and access to medical treatment like there's so many opportunities and if we'd ever stopped along the way oh well we're good now we don't have to do this anymore thanks god we can stop where we are we wouldn't be where we are it says in verse four they sent to me four times in this way and i answered them in the same manner in the same way, Sambalat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in hand. If you want to know what that open letter in hand meant, it was a literal slap in the face. It was a sign of disrespect. It was a picture of open criticism. And so Nehemiah knew an open letter coming to him, that was an actual offense. So Samuel sends him this open letter, and in it was written, verse 6, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, so-and-so said. How many of you ever feel like you're in this situation? Well, you know, people, people have really been talking. What people? Well, he names the people. Gesem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, like your motives are not pure. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these people, reports that you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah, and now the king, the king, the Persian king, the one who's in charge of the known world at this time, the Persian king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take 
counsel together. We couldn't get him to stop the work on the wall, so let's send him a letter that says, hey, people are talking, that's a Bonnie Raitt song, all about people, like we're going to send him a letter that makes him afraid that all these rumors are circulating, that Nehemiah, you're not just here to build the wall because you're serving the Lord. You're not just here to build the wall because you see a need and God has called you to meet it. You're not here to build the wall for others. You're here to build the wall for yourself and you want to be king. And this is not a far cry from what had happened in Ezra chapter 4. Because in Ezra chapter 4, the Persian king at that moment heard that the Jews who were going back to rebuild the temple actually wanted to fortify that city so that they could rebel against them. There was a vicious rumor that they had to squelch. And that's what's happening to Nehemiah in this moment. So he responds, so I sent to him saying, no such things, nothing, nothing as you say has been done before. And you are inventing them out of your own mind. NIV says you're just making it up. You're making it up out of your head. Nehemiah stood strong. You know, if the enemy, this is a side note, but, but may relate to something that you've experienced. If the enemy can't distract you from the work that God wants you to do, his next aim will to be divide you from the people you're doing it with. Maybe you've seen that as a part of your history. Because a lot of us have been around the church block a time or two. And you've experienced something like that. It, it, it may come as no shock to you, but sometimes people in churches argue with one another. And sometimes churches divide and they split and people grab their toys and they leave and they say, see ya. Like there's a lot of conflict sometimes in the life of local churches. And really, we know that that exists because there's an enemy out there that sees the good work that's happening, wants to stand in the way of it. And if he can't distract you from the good work, he will divide you from with and that's what the enemy's attempting to do in this moment. The enemy's desire is division. And it's not only distracting, I think it's exhausting. And it says that in verse 9. You go back to, it says that they were all trying to frighten us. Here's Nehemiah's discernment again. Thinking, thinking in their heads, hey, their hands are going to get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. It's an enemy. He wants to distract us. There is a part of that strategy to divide us, and if the devil, if he can't make you sinful, he'll work real hard to make you sleepy, to where you're just exhausted, to where you can no longer do the thing that God has called you to do. To where you're just laying on the table saying, no, I can't do this anymore. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. This is way too much. You know, a little kid that's laying on the table getting whatever immunizations that their parents have decided to give for based on whatever wisdom that they've decided to employ. Listen, don't at me about the immunizations. I get it. There's differing opinions on all the things. But what the kid doesn't know is that in their very best efforts, the parents are attempting to do something that's good for them that's helpful, that's necessary. You know, the Lord does that for us too. The thing that's painful is often helpful. That's why we're supposed to be grateful for the difficulties that we face because they build up what the New Testament says inside of us, perseverance and endurance. That They build up for us an immunity against these kinds of attacks, the kind of immunity that Nehemiah had. Faith 101 for us. Like, if you don't remember anything else that we ever say, and we say this a lot, 
Faith 101 for us when it comes to Jesus means trusting God even when it's hard. And there should never be any ideas in our heads that, oh, if I just trust God, life will be easy. Oh, if I'm just faithful and I go to church and I attend my Bible study and I pray over my meal at restaurants where other people can see me. Like, there should never be any thought in our head that following God obediently is going to lead to a life of ease. So Nehemiah is being attacked. He's being distracted from the work that God called him to do. The enemies are trying to divide him from the people that have allowed him to do it. They're trying to weaken his hands. And so what does he do in verse 9? He says, but I prayed. Strengthen my hands. The word strengthen in the Hebrew language that this New Testament was originally written in is kazdak. And it's found 267 times. This is where it gets real fun. 267 times in the Old Testament. 34 of those are in the book of Nehemiah. The only other book that uses Kazadak more is Second Chronicles. And guess what? Most of Jewish history and tradition says that Ezra, the scribe, wrote both of those books. Meaning that he used this word, strengthen, more than any other Old Testament writer. It means to, to take on might, to make firm or rigid, to support, to have or to hold or to sustain strength, to prevail, to withstand. In my head, I get this picture of like the Kazdak word of to strengthen. It's just get swole. Like just get bigger, get stronger, get able to withstand whatever divisive, distracting, exhausting attack that the enemy wants to throw at you. And that's what continued to happen. And Nehemiah was prepared for it. And Nehemiah prayed for strength. And God granted it because it says, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Now this guy who's confined to his home wants to meet somewhere else. I don't even understand that part of the story. He's confined to his home. He said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Now, he really wants to scare Nehemiah because he's telling him that there's now death threats against him in this moment. But Nehemiah responded again with the sermon. I said, should such a man as I run away? I, mean, I just prayed for strength. Now I'm going to run. He says, what man such as I could go into the temple and live? What was Nehemiah? not a priest, not a scribe. He was a Persian politician. And he knows that it would be a violation of the law of God for him to go inside that temple. So he's wanting the Lord to take care of it. If he had shut himself in that holy place, it would have been a desecration against the law of who could go in. And if the devil can't distract us, if the enemy can't divide us, if he can't just exhaust us, he will flat out try to deceive us. We know that that happens. He's the father of lies. In verse 12, Nehemiah is like, I understood that God had not sent him. Shemaiah wasn't bringing me the message of the Lord, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because why? Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Y'all, this just got real messy. There's a soap opera going on in the book of Nehemiah. Hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. 
Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Let the Lord take care of it. What's always next when we're asking God for increased strength, for, for increased direction, to tell us what to, what to do and, and where to go and how to do it, how to be laser-focused on the mission to reach others, how to be laser-focused on a mission to, to widen the kingdom of God in our day and our generation so that more people can come to faith in Christ. What's always next as we follow God is increased faith in us. My first ministry job in North Carolina, I was working on mission teams with high school students going into cities in the Northeast, and we came to this moment. It was the January of 2001, where all of us on that team were invited to go through this 50 days of faith Bible study where we prayed every single day, do we move to New York City, do we plant a church, Lord, increase our faith. And we ended that study around Valentine's Day by spending time in New York, and Susan and I went and looked at the apartment that we were going to live in when we went to that city to launch that ministry to reach the neighboring nations for Christ and to work with church planters in the community, and we knew that God was closing that door for us to say, no, you're not going to go. It's time for more school. It's time for seminary. It's time for a different avenue of ministry, and it's going to take faith for you to step away from this just as much as it took for you to step into this. And so the prayer request of should we move was no. Should the prayer request of, of should we go there to plant a church for us was no. But the prayer request of increased faith was a resounding yes because God wanted to increase our faith for all the things that were next for us. We have some pictures that we've been floating around. You've probably gotten some of these at your home or seen on an email because these are the things that are, that are next for Rolling Hills. It's the exterior. Oh, I got a my laser pointer. There are no cats in the room, so we're not going to go nuts. Um, but really taking the footprint of the warehouse that we have in Franklin and doing an extension to allow a larger worship center. And once that larger worship center is complete, it'll allow us to take the worship center that we have and outfit it for kids ministry, which is growing and not able to sustain in the same place that they are. So what we're asking that over the next 20 years that we know that God is going to resource the Franklin campus to grow larger in that community, Williamson County is expected to double in the next few years, and that just is mind-blowing to me. And though this is a picture of our Nolansville campus and what we desire to see God do there, they used to be in a square foot of three, like 3,000 square feet building. Some of y'all have houses bigger than that. And that's where they worshiped on Sunday morning. And so God provided through the last initiative at Rolling Hills for them to have an incredible building. Well, now it's taken that 3,000 square feet and updating it for community and connections and a new baptistry for them to see more people come to faith. This is the Haywood Hills campus. You see that sign that says community center. That's, that's part of the next 20, and it's just over uh, in between I-24 and 440. It's an opportunity for us as this campus to go to that campus, to, to serve in the community, to be on mission, to do good locally for people that are marginalized and in need, for the poor among us that Jesus desires for us to be about and to be for. And then I think we have some pictures of, oh, there's the community center on the inside. I love it. We've got some little cartoon people in there just doing their community center business. And then for our campus, we've been thinking a lot about the opportunities here. We have a gymnasium that we're really not able to use for youth rec league sports. My little boy Simon plays for West Nashville Sports League basketball, and he has for a number of years. Do you know how many basketball gymnasiums we've used in churches and schools in this community? 
more than 10. Every Saturday, they're shipping us off to a new place to go use a gymnasium, and we've never been able to offer that to the community, but every time I go, I'm like, there are hundreds of families coming here every single week, and I'll just go ahead and tell you this. At no point in time, this is no shade, although it is a little bit of shade, y'all forgive me. At no time have any one of those schools, they wouldn't really want to, churches been active on property on a Saturday with hundreds of us in the building trying to even let me know what they do on a Sunday. And they don't know where I come from or what I believe. Never been invited to attend. We just walk in the gymnasium. The referees tell our kids what they can and can't do. We may buy a snack before we leave and then kid gets a trophy and go, I can tell you this that if God allows us to update that gymnasium to where we can use it, the first phone call will be to the West Nashville Sports League, and we'll say fill it up every Saturday and even use it for practice during all the other nights of the week. Like, let families come and let, let them not only come, y'all, we will so subtly and even not so subtly leverage that to invite them to come to church, to invite them to hear the gospel, to let them know that Jesus loves them. I don't know what's happening here, but go back to that picture. I also laughed at this a lot, and maybe you did too. Look at these three grown adults guarding that one kid. <laughs> we will also make sure that whatever's going on in that gym to reach out to this community is fair. Okay, and then the next one. We have this amphitheater outside. Several weeks ago, I was leaving the property for something I had to drop off on a Saturday night, and I hear this music, and I'm like, what's going on? Like, there's music coming from our amphitheater, and I thought, well, did I forget an event that I was supposed to be at? And I go over, y'all, some local high school kids had come on the property without permission, plugged in their amps, and they were doing the most, I don't know, indie folk, like, like weird music. And I talked to these kids, and I was like, like just checking to see, like, why they, well, we just saw that it was empty, and we decided to have a pop-up concert. Problem is, we didn't let the neighborhood know. Problem is, they didn't have permission to be there. Problem is, we weren't sure that there was any sort of adult guarding the things that they were doing. I went, I told them that they had to go ahead and shut it down after the next time. I was just that guy, and I hated to be that guy, but all the while, I was praying, Lord, let us, let us put some lights out there. Let us renovate the bathrooms so that all those high school kids who want to come and play their weirdo music and do concerts so that they can know that there's a church in this community that cares about them and desires to reach them. I imagine that we would have string lights. Y'all know string lights? They're so fun. Like, just something fun out there so that when groups in the community want to do something fun out there, we're able to support it. Why? Because we want to be the litmus test for us as a church is that we would be about others. I really just want to show you all those pictures so that I could use my laser pointer today. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 15 says this, when the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days, it was a miracle for them. Can you imagine? They didn't have caterpillar coming in with excavators and pulling stuff out. They were rebuilding walls that were in ruins for 70 years because of the Babylonians what? And God allowed them to rebuild it in a matter of months. When the wall was complete, guess what? When you're doing something great for God, the enemy knows it. It says when our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence. Why? They weren't afraid of Nehemiah. They weren't shaken about the Jews who had returned they realized that the work had been done with the help of our God. And, and you talk about increased faith. We've got a poster that says next, what, what God's going to do in the next 
20 years. In 20 years, I'll be 65 years old. Some of y'all need to tell me what that's like. I'm excited. But in 20 years, I'll have a kid that's turning 37 years old. Y'all, I might get to be a poppy. Like, I have no idea. Like, I'll be so excited. Like, I've, I've picked out that. I want that to be my granddad name. Like, I'm thrilled. Like, what? Not yet, but then. <laughs> I'm so excited. Like, I don't know what God's going to do in the next 20 years. I don't know how many of these pictures are going to come true. But I do know that when we take a step of faith, God meets us with increased faith. And we're able to recognize that he did far more than we could do. Like way more than we could do. And we talk about what's next. We talk about who's next. Some of us aren't going to be in that next for whatever reason. We won't be here for 20 more years. We won't be here for 40 more years. But what we do right now will pave the way for the people who will continue to come in the next 20, in the next 30, in the next 40. Philippians chapter 1, we talked about that a little earlier. Paul just writes to them, he's like, hey, I want you to know, guys, that whatever happens to me, he was in jail talking about difficult, challenging, opposition things. He recognized that it served to advance the gospel. So even if all of these things that we desire to do are hard, even if they require sacrifice, even if we meet opposition, we want to do it because we know that it serves to advance the gospel. Winston Churchill, famous leader, given a lot of credit, but also met a lot of opposition in his life. He says this, never give in, never give in, never, never, never. I probably should be doing this in a really good British accent, like a, like a pipe smoking British accent, but I, never, 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 never in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Winston Churchill was laying on the table going, no ma'am, no ma'am, no ma'am, no ma'am, we will not yield. Nope. Highly revered, highly criticized, he stayed the course. The wall that Nehemiah completed, hundreds of years later, it would be virtually destroyed again. In 70 AD, the Romans, they just wanted to wipe it off. And so they took it down. But that was after Jesus walked through it. That was after Jesus was dedicated inside it. We don't know what's going to happen in 100 years. We don't know what's going to happen in 20 years. We barely know what's going to happen in 20 minutes. But what we can know is that God has a plan, and we just want to faithfully be a part of it. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for a day like today, a chance to be in this place, to gather together, to celebrate the good things that you have done and the incredible things that you can and will do in the lives of people who tell you that they trust you, who are willing to stand up against opposition for you, who are even willing to go through challenges because of you, because of others, because of our desire to see your will and your way and your work accomplished in the world. We want to tell you today, Jesus, that we love you, and the greatest expression of love that we could give 
is our trust. It's in Christ's name that we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.